Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. Earlier this month, I went with a team from Faith Church to Southeast Asia. Now, this required several very, very, very large planes for us to ride on and many, many, many hours for us to fly on these planes. Now, you can imagine at 30,000 feet in the air, if there had been engine failure, that would have been catastrophic for us. You can imagine even as we're coming in for a landing without the engine problems, if the pilot was incompetent, that would have been destructive for us. And yet, did we trust the pilot? Did we trust the airline to be doing their maintenance? Well, maybe we were a little nervous about it, but we got ourselves onto those big planes. And you know what? Our trust was rewarded. We made our way 13 time zones around the world, halfway around the world, literally, and we got there and we came back because we trusted But trust wasn't enough to get us there, was it? The pilot actually had to be competent. The airline actually had to be doing their maintenance. The plane actually needed to be flight worthy. Both of those things had to be true, that it was worthy of trust and that we put our trust in them. And the fact that that I'm back here today to speak with us shows that that trust was rewarded. Now, today we conclude our series in John, the beginning of John's gospel, titled The Word Was God. And we've already seen in this series from the very beginning that Jesus was there. The Word was with God from the very beginning. And Jesus is that creator of all things. We've also seen in this series how when Jesus came to earth and lived as a man on planet earth 2,000 years ago, he interacted with a lot of people and they identified him as the one they were waiting for, the chosen one, the Messiah, the Savior. Now, as we continue in this story, we see why it was that these first followers of Jesus found him to be trustworthy. In John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, we have the account of Jesus at a wedding turning water into wine. Now, this is a story about people seeing that they can trust Jesus, and that's going to be very important for us to trust Jesus, far more important than trusting in a plane and trusting in a pilot, far more important than me trusting you if you say, hey, let's meet together at Chick-fil-A at 1 o'clock. I trust that you're going to be there. Just Not on Sunday, of course. So this trust that we're going to see is Jesus helping somebody who was in need. And on one level, it seems like a very simple, happy story. Does the party get to keep on going or do they have to end early? We're going to see that there's a whole lot more to it than that. We're going to see the generosity and kindness and care of Jesus for people that were in dire need. We're going to see whether or not, not only could they trust Jesus, but can we trust Jesus? And we're going to ask ourselves, why is it that John included this account, this true story of Jesus doing for people what they could not do for themselves? Why did he include that? And could that possibly have some impact in our lives today? Let's look at the story together. We start in John chapter 2 at the very beginning. Verses 1 and 2 say, 
On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. So here's our setting. It's 2,000 years ago. It's, it's Palestine. It's a Jewish culture. Weddings in that society, the wedding itself took place on day one, and it was a small ceremony with close family and friends, but the party lasted for a week, and the entire community was invited. In fact, your families were held in higher or lower esteem based on not only how many people did you host at this, at this wedding reception, but also the importance of the people that came to the wedding reception. So having Jesus there was a win for the families because he was already being recognized as a traveling teacher, as a rabbi. So Jesus is there at this party where there will be feasting and there will be dancing and there will be music and there will be games. And it's a wonderful and a fun time. Good things are happening. But notice our conflict comes in verse 3. When the wine was gone... Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Again, this sounds like it's just kind of a small problem. You run out of wine, okay, maybe the party ends a little early. Understand, back in that society, while it was important to have many, many important people at your wedding, it was devastating if you were unable to host the people that came. It would have been socially, more than embarrassing, if socially shameful. The bride and groom would have been the butt of jokes for the rest of their lives. Their extended families would have been hearing and feeling the shame that this came. This was going to be tragic for the bride and groom and their extended families, and Jesus' mom, Mary, who's there, we assume, because she's either friends or family in some way of bride or groom or their friends or family. Mary is there. It's not her hometown, but it's home region, so to speak. And she notices this problem in advance, and she goes to her son, Jesus, and she says, we have this problem. They're running out of wine. This is going to be bad. Notice Jesus' response. Because Mary is coming, before you notice his response, Mary is coming to Jesus for a reason. Mary knew Jesus could help. Why do, you, why do you think she knew that? I think it goes back 30 years earlier in time when the angel appeared to her and said, you are going to have a son even though you are a virgin. You are, your son is going to be the Savior, the Messiah. God come in the flesh. She experienced that. It happened She knows something special about this son. She's watched him. Right when he was born, the shepherds came and said, we saw the angels. A little while later, the wise men came. They said, we saw the star. Mary has all of this outside confirmation that she has been absorbing. She knows who Jesus is. She knows that he can help. What we don't know is whether or not he will. And so in verse 4, that is thrown into question. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. That's not the Jesus we usually talk about, is it? That, that's, that's harsh to our Western ears. Mind your own business, lady. That, that's what it sounds like, right? Let me assure you that this term, woman, that Jesus uses to address his mom is actually a term of endearment, a term of respect. 
He uses it again in the Gospel of John at the end of the book while he's hanging on the cross and making sure that Mary knows that he has arranged for his friend John to take care of her once he is gone. And he addresses her with this same term that we have here for woman. So Jesus is not being disrespectful, but what he does say to her is, my hour has not yet come. Why are you involving me in this? Every time in the Gospel of John when he talks about his time or his hour. He's referring to the cross. He's referring to the time of his suffering and dying for the sins of his people. And I think Jesus is telling Mary that while she might expect him to do something visible and make himself known to the nation, that it's not time for that yet. And while, while Jesus was saying, I'm not going to do a major miracle, Mary took this to mean that he would help. See, Mary not only knew that Jesus could help, Mary knew that Jesus would help. And so we read in verse five, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. She's absolutely convinced. I think based on 30 years of watching her son take care of people around him who are in need, watching her son be observant of what was happening around him and wanting to help where he could help. And so Mary is absolutely certain that Jesus will lean in, that Jesus will bring the help that is necessary. Let's see what happens next. Picking up in verse six. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Jesus looks and he sees six stone water jars. I don't have a stone water jar here. Their jars were 20 to 30 gallons each. This is a 55-gallon drum. So this is two of their water jars, basically. It would have taken three of these to fill these with what was taking place. Jesus sees these stone jars, which are used for ceremonial cleansing, not the requirements that Moses had written in the law, but rather extra rules that had been built up around the law by teachers that wanted to make sure you didn't even come close to breaking God's law. These would have been to make sure you washed your hands in a very certain and particular way. It would have been to take dishes and wash them in a certain and particular way in a jar that itself was clean, although by the time all of the hands and dishes had been washed in it, the water in there would have been dirty. Jesus says, Fill, refill these jars to the top. They do that. And then he says, now go and take some to the MC. How would you like to be the employee of the caterer who is charged with scooping out some water, dirty water, people have washed their hands in, and taking this to the master of ceremonies, the person who's supposed to know his stuff, the connoisseur of good wine. You know, there's a French word for that, sommelier, or something like that. I don't know. Pardon my French, I guess, if I got it wrong. So 
He says, take this to the guy who knows his stuff, pass this water off as wine, as alcohol. I don't want to be that guy. Somebody was that guy. And they take it over to this MC, and the MC is absolutely astounded. He says, wow, this is good stuff. He's so astounded. He calls the groom over and he says, look, you know, there's a way we usually do things. Usually you take the good stuff and you put it out first. And then after a while, people have a little bit less sense. Their their senses are dulled a little. They can't tell the difference. And you bring the cheaper stuff out later. He said, you brought out good stuff to start with. And now at the end, you've brought out the top shelf stuff. You brought out the stuff that had the prize spot in your wine cellar. This is absolutely amazing. Now, just so you're aware, to fill this particular 55-gallon drum would take about 250 bottles of wine. So three of them were at 750 bottles of wine. Assuming $20 a bottle, you are looking at $15,000 as a gift. From the response of the MC that this was not $20 a wine bottles, this could have been $100,000 plus gift that Jesus was giving to these people. Now, what does Jesus' amazing gift say to us? That he's generous? Oh, absolutely. Six-figure wedding gift? That he's powerful? Yes, that too. Who else could take water and transform it into wine? That he cares for the people around him, the people that are in need? Yes, it says that as well. But the Apostle John, as he writes this book to us and he gives us this account, doesn't leave us to wonder which aspect of Jesus' goodness was being highlighted here. And so we read in verse 11, John's narrative, his comment, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. John wants us to know that Jesus was performing this sign so that those who were close to him, those who were already walking with him and following him would see something. They would see his glory. They would see that Jesus can do what only God can do. Jesus is God. This is what is being revealed here. And Keep in mind these early followers. We had John the Baptist who supernaturally had been revealed to him that Jesus was the Messiah, God, and now Andrew goes and he follows Jesus. He investigates, he interrogates, and he comes back and he tells his brother Peter, we found the Messiah. We've seen how Jesus interacted with Philip, and after Philip had seen Jesus talk to Jesus, he goes to his friend Nathaniel and tells him, we found the one we've been looking for, the one we've been waiting for, the one that was promised in the scriptures. And when Nathaniel goes and he talks to Jesus and he learns that Jesus knows all about him without ever having met him, Nathaniel says to Jesus, you are the king of Israel. You are the son of God. And Jesus says to him, you ain't seen nothing yet. John wants us to know here that Jesus is God. And he says, this is the first of the signs that Jesus performed. This word first is the word for beginning. It's the word that John used as he started the book of John where he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And he's pointing to Jesus being God. It's the same word that John himself, as he starts the book, was using to 
quote from the very beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John is telling us something. This is the beginning of the signs, the first of the signs. And all through John's gospel, when miracles are done, he doesn't call them powerful things. He doesn't call them miracles. He calls them signs because they're saying something. They're communicating something. Three of those signs were Jesus healing people who were sick. One of those signs, of course, is Jesus transforming the water into wine. Another one was Jesus walking on water. Another one was Jesus calming a storm just by speaking. Maybe the most highlighted one was when Jesus raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. You see, all of the signs in John's gospel show us that Jesus is God. And John is saying, here is the beginning of the signs and his disciples, his followers, the ones that were close, the ones that were able to know what had happened. Their response was to believe in him. You see, this passage is telling us that since Jesus is God, we can trust him. What that looked like for his original followers to trust him was to walk the dusty streets of Palestine behind him. What it meant for them was to obey him. What it meant for them was to be sent out on mission for him. What it meant for them was to learn from his teaching and often to share that with others. But what does it mean for us to trust in Jesus? Let me suggest there are several categories for what it might mean for us to trust in Jesus, that since Jesus is God, I can trust him. I can trust Jesus to clean me from my past. This is something that we all need. This is something sensed deep inside of every human heart. Go back throughout all of human history. Go back and look at every culture. There is religion. There is trying to get right with the deity in some way. There is a trying to be cleansed from our failures. And we do it by working. We do it by adding this religious works when I was on that trip to Southeast Asia earlier this month, when we were finished with our task, we took a little sightseeing trip and we visited a temple. And at this temple, we were required to wear uh, a certain dress code covering up our legs with these bright purple skirts. Oh, I hate skirts. I'm... (laughs) Sorry. It, this is what we had to do in order to be right with them. To, we couldn't even go into the temple. Now, there were monkeys nearby that were going in and out of the temple, and they didn't have to wear the skirts, and I was jealous. <laughs> but this is man-made religion. It doesn't always make sense. And for the Jewish people, their man-made religion involved them washing their hands in certain ways. This was tradition that had been built up around the law of Moses, and this was tradition that was beyond what God had said, but it's tradition that said, I can make my way there myself. I can earn my way. I can do something, and it's striving, and it's hard, and we do the same thing today, I would suggest. Anyone who tries to make a deal with God. Have you been there? I know I have. You, you say, God, if you will get me out of this problem, I will, whatever it is, I will quit smoking, I will quit cussing, I will go to church, I will give money, whatever it is. We make these deals with God to get him to do what we want. That's religion. That's our version of ceremonial cleansing and washing of hands. But what we're being told through this story, 
is that since I can trust Jesus, I can trust him to cleanse me from my past. This is what I love so much about this story, that Jesus takes the religious ceremonial jars and he turns religion on its side. He makes the jars unusable for religion because they no longer have water in them, they have wine in them. What are you going to do? Wash your hands, wash your dishes with that. In doing so, he gave the people what they needed, not what they thought they wanted. He gave the people what they needed, not the religion of trying to earn their own way. This was a gift. Jesus transformed the water into wine in order to serve and help and care for the people of that wedding. Jesus transforms our lives. He takes away the guilt, the shame, the sin, our failure to love God perfectly, our failure to love others perfectly. He washes that away with the wine, not of religion, but of his gift, his goodness, what he has done for us. Yes, we can trust Jesus to cleanse us from our past. Not only can we trust him to cleanse us from our past, but you know, you can trust Jesus to guide you right here and now in the present as well. For the wedding, when it took place, the bride and groom, they didn't even know what Jesus had done right away. They're not even seeing, they're not even knowing about the care that he has given to them. But Jesus' closest followers, his disciples who were with him, they knew, they saw. What did it lead them to do? It led them to say, we can keep following him. We can trust him. We can trust him to guide us. And their guidance was very literal, very personal, right there and then in front of them. But for us, to Jesus to guide us in the present, for him to direct our path, means we keep on taking steps of following him. Here at Faith Church, we like to use this next steps pathway. This is very simply a tool that we use in order to say there are different areas of life that we can advance in as we take steps in following Jesus. We say everyone has a step in finding and following Jesus. Everyone has a next step, and I would suggest there are steps to take in each of these four lanes, these four categories. And these lanes and categories aren't legalistic. There's a lot of options inside the various lanes. But just to know that it's helpful to be in each category. So one category that Jesus uses in order to guide us and to direct us is worship. We gather here as the people of God, the people that are trying to follow God, and we remember God's goodness. We remember his character. We remember what he has done for us in sending Jesus. We remember the forgiveness that he offers. We remember his power and his love and his mercy. And you know what? We are encouraged. We are transformed. Worship is a gift that God gives to us to engage in. We as people gather with others that are similar to us and others that are different from us, and yet we worship together the same God. And as we do, God uses that worship to encourage us and to direct us. We can trust God to direct us in the present. A second lane is not only worship, but community. And much like worship, this involves the people of God, but we refer to community as, among other things, our small groups. That's a good example. of When you're involved in a small group, you are taking that opportunity to engage in community with other people, maybe a dozen people in a living room or whatever the setting is, and now it's 
It's a you and me situation where I can speak into your life and you can speak into my life. I can be encouraged and you can be encouraged. And we get to fulfill the commands of Scripture to love one another and to forgive one another and to put up with one another and to counsel one another and to encourage one another and so many more. I look forward to going to my small group. And you know, after a while in groups, you get to that point of being able to know each other well enough that you've got some history, some background together, and you can speak into one another's lives based on past history. There's a safety that comes in being able to speak into one another's lives in that setting. So for example, this last week, in our small group, a couple people were vulnerable enough to say, you know, I actually kind of like McDonald's more than Chick-fil-A. I mean, that took, some, that took some openness, some boldness after last Sunday's sermon on Chick-fil-A, don't you think? So, but there's even more than that, that our groups get together and share an openness, a, a, a commonness, and speaking into one another's lives. That's the blessing that comes from being together. Worship, outreach, I'm sorry, worship community. Next one is outreach. By outreach, we're referring to the fact that if we've found Jesus to be our hope, our joy, then don't we want more people to also experience the goodness that comes from receiving forgiveness from Jesus? If we've found Jesus to be all that we need, then our family, our community, our friends, people in school, people at work, people around the world, we want others to know. And that can be hard to speak up for Jesus because outreach does involve talking most of the time, inviting people to come with you where they're going to hear about Jesus or speaking to them yourself about your experience of what it is to live with Jesus and trust Jesus. But Jesus, again, gives us this category, this lane, not as Not as a bondage, a restriction, but rather as freeing. It's something he gives us that can be hard, and yet he knows that he puts us in this lane because it helps us move forward. Worship, community, outreach. Last category is serving. Here at Faith Church, we have many, many ways that people serve one another, whether it be through the nursery or children's ministry or student ministry or welcoming or parking lot, whether it be through music or through tech and production and lights or a hundred other ways it feels like. We invite you to serve not only here but also in our community. We give lots of opportunities for that. You know why we do it? It's not because we want free labor. I mean, I guess that's nice, but it's not the reason Rather, we encourage you to serve. We make this one of our lanes of our next step pathway because we know from the Bible and we know from experience that when you serve, you move forward in your own faith. You grow. You are challenged. It is a benefit to you. And so we invite you to join us in serving God together. This next steps pathway is a tool that we invite you to use with us. Use it at your own time. Use it at your own pace. But use it to guide you in these different areas, saying we all have a step, a next step that we should take as we follow Jesus together. You can find options for each of these categories on our website. You can find options by visiting guest services. You can find options by coming in during the week or texting or emailing or calling us. We have lots of ways because we want you to be connected. Yes, I can trust Jesus. Because Jesus is God, I can trust him to guide me 
in the present. But you know, Jesus doesn't only cleanse me from my past sins and guide me in the present. I can also trust Jesus to care for me all throughout the future. I mentioned earlier that the bride and the groom likely did not know what Jesus had done for them. I guarantee you that by the end of the reception, they knew what Jesus had done for them. They knew that they had received a gift of $100,000 plus. They knew that their financial future had been aided. They knew that their social future, far from being devastating, now was good. They knew that Jesus had cared for them. Do you think Jesus did this miracle only for them? I don't. I think he was telling us something as well. The fact that John records it here in Scripture means that Jesus was telling us something as well. Jesus was telling us that we can trust him with our future as well, that he can care for us now, but he can continue to care for us as we move forward day by day, week by week, month by month. Jesus is there with us for the rest of our lives and forever. Yes, we can trust Jesus. John has written these words with trust in mind because he knows that trusting Jesus is what is absolutely the best path to take in life. He wants us to know that Jesus is trustworthy. He wants us to know that the initial followers of Jesus, the ones that had a front row seat, they all found Jesus to be absolutely trustworthy. And John wants us to know that we can trust Jesus because he is God. And as God, he also is good. He is caring. He is loving. He is generous. He looks out for his people. Since Jesus is God, we can trust him, past, present, and future. Will you? You can trust Jesus to clean you up no matter what you've done in the past. You can trust Jesus to guide and direct you no matter what you're going through right now in the present. You can trust Jesus to care for you for the rest of your life and beyond. Jesus is good. Jesus is God. Let's pray. Heavenly Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this story, this true account of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Thank you for your care for us in telling us who Jesus is. Thank you for your care for us in giving us Jesus to lead us and direct us and guide us. Help us, Heavenly Lord, to follow Jesus with our lives. Help us, Heavenly Lord, to follow Jesus day by day. Help us, Heavenly Lord, to trust in Jesus, to cleanse us from our past. Help us, Lord, to trust in Jesus each and every day. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for what you've done for us in Jesus. And we pray all of this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.